This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. One of my favorite images of Our Lady is her standing at the foot of the cross. And I know that seems like kind of a heavy way to start this week's episode, but I love that that concept, and I think it's one worth pondering, of Our Lady standing by her son in a moment of absolute trauma. He's dying, and she remains there. It would have been far easier to walk away. It would have been far easier to deny she even knew him. We know that Peter did that. It would have been probably far more comfortable to just turn around and not look at the horror of her only son being killed right before her eyes. And even though I'm sure there was a sense of of confidence and hope in the resurrection to come, there was still sadness in that moment. And it's worth pondering Our Lady as the mother who stays with the son who dies Our Lady who holds the dying, dead son. Our Lady who embraces sorrow. And thus, because she knows sorrow, can embrace us. This week, we have a very powerful conversation with a woman who has stood at the foot of the cross. With a a woman that you need to know, a woman that you should follow, a woman that you should listen to, a woman who has stared trauma in the face, who has suffered through poverty, who has experienced things in this life that we hear about from afar, but that she is talking about from a front row perspective because she's lived it. And this week, as we get to know our guest, Letitia Ochoa Adams, I just want you to keep in mind the idea That when we turn to Our Lady, when we grow closer to Our Lady, we are growing closer to someone who is aware of pain, who is familiar with sorrow, and therefore can comfort us in pain and sorrow. Just a a quick warning at the top, Letitia does talk about her son dying in this episode. She does talk about suicide. She does talk about trauma and systemic poverty. And some of these issues are are a little heavy and they're a little challenging. And I just, I want to just alert our listeners that if these are things that could potentially uh, not only be upsetting, but possibly trigger um, you or the people in the room, just to be aware that this conversation is is going to to chat about those things and that we are going to cover some of those topics. And I just want to make sure that you protect yourself Um, and that you guard your mind and your heart as needed. I think this is a very valuable and fruitful discussion this week and one that helps us recognize and understand Our Lady as someone who is with us in the darkest moments of our lives and can help us look to the joy of the resurrection but also stand with us at the foot of the cross when it's very hard to see that the resurrection is coming. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Letitia Ochoa Adams. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. So uh, to those of us in the the Catholic world and maybe some of the people out of the Catholic world that are hopefully listening to this, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself. I'm stuck in an elevator with you and it's going to be like 10 minutes before the fireman can come to save us. Who do I meet in that elevator standing there waiting to be saved? (laughs) 
Okay, well, um, I have a super long story, but the short version is, um, my name is Letitia Ochoa Adams. I was born and raised in Texas. Um, I was raised by a single mother. I never knew my father, and I was baptized Catholic when I was six weeks old. Never really touched my Catholicism again as far as formal teaching went, but I always claimed Catholic. I was Hispanic, Catholic, and poor. (laughs) Those are my three identities. Mm -hmm. Um, in 2008, I lost one of my closest friends to a car accident and it really made me want to change my entire life. At the time I was going in and out of jail. I was fighting. I was hanging out with really bad crowds of people. And I mean, the people weren't bad, but the crowds were bad and it was just a bad environment for me. So I moved And in that move, I found my childhood sweetheart on MySpace, which was like a gazillion years ago (laughs) and, um, and on online years. Right. So we came back together. He came home from Iraq. We moved to the suburbs, which was a adventure in and of itself for me because I had never even heard of this magical place. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, we, we, were living together and I wanted to get married. And he said, if we get married, it will have to be in the Catholic church. And he kind of knew that I wouldn't go to these classes because I had already tried to do it multiple times before in my life. And, um, but I was very stubborn and I really wanted to marry him. So I was like, fine, I'll take these dumb Catholic classes. And what I found was God waiting for me. Um, so I had an enormous conversion story. It turned my life upside down um, completely. I went a little nuts at first. Um, <laughs> um, I was pretty on fire with the Holy Spirit and probably a little insanity along with it. And everything was great for a little while. And then life started kind of falling apart. So I didn't really know how that fit because I just had this idea, like, I'm doing everything right. We got married in the church. I'm a Catholic. I'm going to Mass on Sunday, making my kids go to Mass on Sunday. I don't understand where all of this trouble is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all kind of ended with my oldest son's suicide on March the 8th of 2017. Um, and his was the last of three deaths that happened within 11 months. My uncle and my aunt passed away. They were like parents to me. And uh, they passed away, my aunt passed away a month before Anthony, and my uncle passed away 10 months before Anthony. So it was a very hard 10 months. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've just spent the last two years trying to put myself back together from that. And it has brought me even closer to God than my first conversion, which I would say now looking back was pretty superficial and a bit of a, now I have Jesus, everything's going to be fine, kind of fairy tale thing. So that's the bottom line. And I, I, the end of everything is at the end of it all is I just want to tell Anthony's story to as many people as possible. Um, because there's holes in the conversation on suicide. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just want to be a part of trying to fill some of them. So, so tell me about Anthony. What was he like? I've seen pictures on your Instagram. He was a cute kid. Um, he was little. Yeah. He, he was the sweetest kid. I mean, as a kid, he was just, he was always concerned about everyone else. He, um, he also had a very rough childhood. So his biological father, he knew who his biological father was, but he didn't really have much to do with him. And then the man I married when he was three years old, he considered his dad. 
who had a drug addiction. And um, that was very hard on Anthony. So losing Ben, who he considered his dad, was difficult for him. But then when I remarried Stacy, him and Stace became really close. And so they had the most amazing relationship. They were best friends. They, I mean, it was even closer than best friends. I, I don't. There's not even a word in the English language for what Stace and Anthony were. And Anthony was just very responsible. He always, he was a calm person. I'm not a calm person. So um, he had the tendency to calm me down. He was very wise for his age. Um, and he was just, he was the kindest person ever. Like he, he used to, there's times when he'd walk in the front door and he wouldn't have a shirt on and he had a tendency to walk around without a shirt. So it was like one of these things I actually had to make a rule at dinner that you had to have shirts on to eat <laughs> at dinner, the dinner table. But sometimes you'd walk in the front door without a shirt and I'd be like, Oh, put a shirt on. And he'd be like, Oh, I gave it to this guy. Like, what mm. guy? And he'd be like some guy, you know, just a homeless guy just needed it. And mm. that's just the kind of person he was, or he, or he would go out to get lunch and He'd come back without any lunch. And I'd be like, what happened to your food? And he's like, I just handed it to a homeless person because he would leave a drive through and see someone standing um, on the corner and he would just give him his lunch. So mm-hmm. that's the kind of person he was. And I mean, he was the nicest kid. But I don't think I prepared him for the not nice world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he kind of had an idea that at some point we were going to have this life where everything was going to be fine. And when that didn't happen, it kind of started weighing on him, you know? Um, And of course the internet, it just bombards people with the worst stories of the worst things that are happening every single day. And our brains are just not created for that. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of his care for everyone and wanting everyone to be safe and well, that it didn't cause his mental illness, but it did, make him feel a bit hopeless, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and he was, he was very, you know, he was, he was like me. He took pride in being Catholic, um, up until he was about 19. Um, and I don't really know what happened, but he just decided, he came to me one day and he was like, I'm not Catholic anymore. I'm actually an atheist. I don't believe in God. And I, I realized this with all my kids that they all kind of are going through the same exact kind of phase. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the day he died, he told me, he was like, the church is the place where, you know, the place that has the truth. And I, everything you said about Catholicism is true. And I want to go back to mass with you guys. And I mean, the whole day, all he wanted to do was go to the parish and talk to our priest. And, um, so it did come back, um, Mm -hmm. at the end of his life, it did, it did come back. So I felt like he had that foundation because he was such a good kid that he, he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't like a normal 14 year old be like, mom, I'm not going to church. We've never had to go to church, blah, blah. And, you know, and Anthony just wasn't like that. He, he just leaned into it and was like, oh yeah, like this makes sense. This is cool. You know, he liked Mm -hmm. the incense. Like he didn't have, (laughs) (laughs) he didn't have that kind of, um, I don't know, reaction that you would think most, especially 14 year old boys. Cause I mean, he was 14, he was a boy, he had been raised secularly and 
you know, yeah, you have girlfriends. Yeah, yeah. Have this automatic resistance, or a lot of them have an automatic resistance to yeah. old, old or, or you know, I don't understand what this is. It's a waste of my time. I'd, nowadays, I'd rather play Fortnite kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like he was a real light in this world, um, and it's it's a it's a great loss to no longer have him with us. Um, Absolutely. When something like that happens, and, and we have a, an Ave Explorers series coming on mental health in December, um, and so we'll, of course, talk to you again more specifically about trauma and recovery and, and what we can do to help people, um, both that are struggling with thoughts of suicide as well as family members and how they can help those people and how they themselves can, can recognize that it's not their fault. Um, yeah. that you did not cause this. And and so I, and you've posted very prolifically and publicly about kind of the past two years of, of, of this recovery. And I'm going to call it recovery because it's a traumatic event. Um, Absolutely. You know, it's no different than a fire burning your home down. Well, it's vastly different than that, but it's, it's a traumatic moment that kind of takes you out of real life for a second. Yes. And then you go right back to real life. I, I distinctly am remembering you posted something recently, um, and I encourage everybody to go follow Letitia on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook because you'll you'll just you'll be shocked with some of the incredible things she has to say, um, and surprised at this voice that we need in the church right now. Um, you said how when trauma happens or when something awful happens, such as a person dying by suicide, especially you were washing his dish in the sink. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how, you know, one moment he was there and the next moment he was gone. What was that like for you as a mom to, to be standing over that sink, to be having that moment of realization that he's no longer with me? And, and, and how has that affected the next two years of your life? I, I think about it like it felt as if I got put in a snow globe. Like, mm. like I, I'm in the snow globe and everything else is happening around me, but I'm seeing it through the lens of being in this snow globe. And like, I can hear people, but it was like very wah, 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 you know? Yeah. And, um, and all I could do was, all I could do, there was, it was like a split screen in my brain where I saw this plate in the sink and I, and there was the meatloaf he had not finished the night before and his body is still laying in the garage. And it was like just a split screen where I could just see these two things. And, and there was no words, there was no feeling. It was just a, like, just space. I mean, mm -hmm. it, and I literally felt like I was in the snow globe where I had all this space around me and all this other stuff was happening on the outside of it. And it was just, I mean, it was one of those moments that my brain you know, saved and put like in a file. And I didn't really ever even look at it until I saw this, um, a, a local guy who was, um, a college football player died by a motorcycle accident and they tagged his Instagram story on the news story. So I just wanted to go see if I knew who he was. Cause I mean, I follow this particular college football team and, and I did, what happened is they uh, the Instagram story popped up instead of his feed. And mm -hmm. on the story was the picture of him about to get on the bike. And he was mm -hmm. like, this is my Saturday evening plans. And it's like, he's gone. And then that picture that I had of the sink, I mean, just came right back into my head. And it was like, that is, it, death is crazy. Yeah. And it's fast. And it's, there's no words to describe it because you're like, how how am I washing this plate and he's gone? Like, I'm never going to see him again. I'm never going to wash a plate again. I'm never going to 
cook dinner for him again. I, I mean, I haven't eaten meatloaf since. Like, I don't even, mm. I, I can't even handle seeing it. Like, if I go somewhere and they're like, hey, you want some meatloaf? I'm like, Bleh. no. No. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's, it also causes a physical reaction, you know, because of that. But it's just how quickly. And also, another thing about that moment was how nothing else mattered. I mean, an hour and a half before that, before we found Anthony, everything mattered. I, my lights were going to get shut off the next day. My phones were shut off because I didn't have the money to pay for it. We didn't know what was going to happen with our mortgage on our house. If we were going to get to keep our house or if we were going to lose our house. Um, I had to go to work the next day. I was tired. Who was going to help take care of the girls, Aaliyah and Cameron, who are his daughters. I mean, everything mattered, you know? How was I going to get speaking gigs? Where was my mm-hmm. writing going to go? I mean, all this stuff. And in that moment, nothing mattered. Mm-hmm. Nothing else mattered except my kids and taking care of Anthony. And it still was taking care of Anthony. I hope you're enjoying this week's conversation with Letitia Adams. Coming up in the second half of the podcast, we specifically begin to talk about Our Lady and how she stood with Letitia during these these moments of trauma and pain. I think you can hear very clearly how much Letitia loves her son, how much she loves her family, how devoted she is to providing and protecting them. And I think this reminds a lot of us about how, at the end of the day, we're called to love the people right in front of us. And perhaps in a really unique way, Mary did this. Mary does this. Mary shows us how to do this by remaining present to us and by encouraging us to remain present to the people around us. If you're enjoying this week's podcast and you've enjoyed the previous weeks, I'd encourage you to go check out all the rest of the Ave Explorers content at AveMariaPress.com, as well as follow Ave Maria Press on all of the social media channels at Ave Maria Press on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All right, back to the show. That's another thing. I think sometimes, and it's not sometimes, I think that the conversation of how to care for your kids once they're gone isn't mm-hmm. that there's not a parenting book for that. Like what to expect when your kid dies? Like there's not that book, you know, mm-hmm. and you're still caring for them. You're still their parent and they are, you, and you're still doing stuff for them. Um, and that's all that mattered. In yeah, that it, it, it's very much a moment at the cross, right? Like Mary yes. Stayed at the foot of the cross, watching all of this happen. I love your description of it's a snow globe moment. You're you're caught in the midst of all this activity, and the only thing you can concentrate on, rightly so, is that one thing. How yeah. how did that affect your faith? And obviously, like this conversation could go for an hour and a half, and and, and <laughs> your talks go into this, and your writings go into this. But what? What was your first thought with with God in that moment? I mean, who was your first phone call when it came to what? Well, we have to bury my son. What, what, what was that aftermath spiritually like? I mean, for the, from the get go, well, I had, like I said, I just lost my aunt and my uncle and I had been with them until their last breath, both of them. And I was with my uncle, my aunt showed me with my uncle, what you do, you call a priest, they come get the body, you go to the funeral home. I mean, like she taught me step by step. And then mm-hmm. I followed through with my cousins when she passed away of what you do. So right away, as soon as we found Anthony, the first call was 911, obviously. And then the second call was to my pastor. And I was like, and I just, I just told him what happened, you know? Um, 
And he was in shock, but he was like, I'll be right there. And he dropped Mm -hmm. everything and he headed over. And then the priest who baptized Anthony and gave him his first Holy Communion and walked with me through my conversion just so happened to be at our parish. He's a vocations director now, so he's not at our parish Mm -hmm. anymore. And he just so happened to be going there for a discernment dinner for high school boys who are considering a vocation. And so he came right over too. So for me, my faith was the first thing I called on because I called on my priest. I knew it. And it's also in my culture. I mean, in Hispanic mm-hmm. culture, you call a priest for everything, you know? Right. <laughs> um, you think if someone's sick, you call a priest. Someone's, you know, acting up, you call a priest and tell them to mm-hmm. have dinner with them. Like, that's just what you do. Um, so that was the first thing. And then the second thing was um, I, ha- I had this split second where I had to make the decision of am I going to tell people he died by suicide or not? You know, I didn't know what the other option was other than not. And, and I, and I say this all the time. I distinctly heard a voice that was not from God that said to me, if you don't shut up, I will take all your kids. And I am just such a stubborn person that in that moment, I was like, you know what? Screw that, you know? Mm -hmm. So what do you do when the father of lies is tempting you? In any kind of way, you step into the truth. That's the only option you have. And so I decided from that moment, I was going to tell the truth. I was going to tell it as boldly and compassionately as possible. I was going to respect Anthony's life. And his life was more than his death. Mm. Um, and, And it was just, I mean, it was the fastest decision I've ever made in my life. Now, that isn't to say that I didn't have doubts afterwards or I didn't have problems with God afterwards, (laughs) that I didn't have moments where I wished I could somehow be an atheist, but um, which is really a a dumb thing. But it is what happened. And but at that moment, I made that decision to step in the truth. And I think that's what I kept doing, even when I was angry. Mm -hmm. How so. So these priests come over. There's the, you know, eventually there's a funeral and then there's the, I'm, I'm distinctly thinking of when um, my grandmother died when I was in the fourth grade and she was very old and she had Alzheimer's and it was not an unexpected thing. But after there's this flurry of activity when someone dies and then you go home to the empty house or you go yeah. home with your family and it's like everybody just continues to move on and their person's not gone, but yours is. And um, I, I, I'm even struggling to come up with the words for this because I have not lost anybody recently in my life. But I, I, I'm imagining and I'm thinking that when something like this occurs and we, we know the steps that we're supposed to take and the people we're supposed to call and the actions that we're supposed to do to help solve these problems and to fix all of this or to just try to deal with and, 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 and confront all of this. I'm going to go back to that moment of Mary standing at the cross Right. They take Jesus off the crucifix. They hand her off the cross. It's no longer crucifix now. Jesus is off the cross. They hand her (laughs) to Mary. She sits there with him. She holds her dead son. They take him off to be buried. That Saturday is often talked about as the saddest day in human history because Mary is without her child. Mary is without her son. Son is. And we know what he's doing. But like in the moment, like we know there's a sequel coming. But she and obviously Mary has great faith. and, And we know that Mary is without sin. But in that particular moment, even the most immense amount of faith in the resurrection and even our, our belief now that Christ will come again and that there will be the resurrection for all of us in a very real sense, that, that, that new life in heaven with him, 
we still have to go through that Friday and that Saturday to get to that Sunday. So specifically, since Ave Explorers is unpacking and exploring Mary, can you share a little bit what your article has unpacked and talked about, which is how we can cling to Mary in the face of this kind of trauma, in the face of this this kind of struggle, any struggle, but especially when we've lost a loved one, particularly in a traumatic way. Yeah, I, so there's two things. So one, I mean, obviously people kept telling me like, look to Mary, you know, she stood at the foot of the cross, she lost the son, blah, blah, blah. And in my grief, my anger, I, I would tell Mary like, yeah, that's great. But your son's God, like Mm -hmm. my, my son's not God. I don't have that, you know, um, and also it's a, it's a tragedy. Like suicide's a tragedy. I don't think we say that enough. It's Mm -hmm. not sad. It's not, it's a tremendous tragedy. And, um, and so, but what I've learned actually, and so I just kept being honest with Mary about my feelings, like you're sinless, (laughs) full of grace. How can I imitate you? (laughs) I'm very sinful. I'm very not full of grace. You know what I mean? And, but, but, but she was comforting. Like it wasn't like she wasn't comforting. Her presence was very comforting to me because I could tell her all of those things honestly and openly. And, and what got me was one advent, um, the talk of the journey, you know, the journey that the blessed mother and St. Joseph made when she was pregnant, um, and how difficult it was and how bumpy it was and how unsure it was and how, you know, neither one of them. Yeah. I mean, they both, they both believed and had faith, but still at some point you're like, are we really carrying God? Like, are we, are we really, is this really happening? Because they're human as well, you know, and Mm -hmm. the humanness is, is this really happening? And that is where my grief journey, where I recognized Mary in my grief journey. And that is this really happening? And are we really doing this and how difficult and bumpy it was and how hard it is to stay on a donkey when you're nine months pregnant is about yeah. how hard it is to stay um, Catholic when you've lost a child, you know? So to me, that's what really got me. And once I, once I related to her in that space, and I think that's the key. I think everyone has to relate to her in their sorrows, in their own space, in, in, in their own way. And it's not going to be the, necessarily the same story. It's not going to always be the passion. I mean, I, I didn't see myself in Mary in the passion because um, I saw myself in Mary Magdalene, but not the Blessed Mother. Um, so, but I did see her in the travel to when she was pregnant with Jesus. So to me, I think everyone has to find that one place where they can relate to Mary. And then mm-hmm. she takes it from there. Like she really just does. She just takes it from there. And, and the difference with Mary, um, the relationship that I have formulated with Mary versus the relationship I've created with Jesus is when it comes to Mary, she doesn't really say much. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, Jesus talks a lot. I don't, I don't know if anyone else has that experience with the relationship with him, but he talks to me a lot in random ways and gives me signs. And with Mary, she's just present Mm -hmm. and in grief, that's all you want. You just want someone who's present, you know? Um, and that's what she does and she does it beautifully, you know, she's present. That presence of Mary in our life, especially as Catholics is, it's the thing that makes me sad sometimes when non-Catholics like don't want anything to do with her. Cause it's like, you know what you're missing out on? Like you're missing out on <laughs> yeah. mom. 
Like yeah, mom yeah. wants to, last night Rose was inconsolable. She has a little ear infection and she was screaming her head off. And like, I mean, she, we could not figure out what she was like. Do you want to watch Daniel Tiger? Do you want some juice? Do you want to go play in your playroom? Like, what do you want? Do you want yeah. medicine? And finally, I just sat down with her in the bedroom in the comfy chair, which is like the comfiest piece of furniture, piece of furniture in the house is in the toddler's yeah. room. And <laughs> she was like three times a day. And um, I just start rocking her and rubbing her back. And I was just like, is it your ear? Does your ear hurt, baby? And just like finally saying, is it your ear? Like yeah. she stopped. Just like all she wanted was for somebody to acknowledge that her ear was bothering her and that she didn't want to chew anything and she didn't want to swallow anything because it was hurting. And like just it was this wait, yeah. that's all it took? Like that's all it took was me sitting down with her in a quiet room and just telling her, I know what hurts and I'm sorry I can't fix it, but I love you anyway, and I'm just gonna hold you yeah. close. Like that's I think what Mary does for us in a in a very real way. Yeah, and I mean I I remember like one of the conversations because I, I I had before during my conversion at the end, right before I came into the church, I went to Rome and I was walking around St. Peter's and I saw the Pieta and I was like, that is beautiful. But I didn't know what it was that was striking about it. I just knew it was beautiful. And I'm like, but everyone thinks it's beautiful. And I went on with my life. Well, um, after Anthony died, I mean, there is something so, and I know beautiful is going to sound like the weird word, but it is beautiful to be a mother who gets to care for your son's body or your child's body in any kind of, cause there's a love in that moment. It, it's like, there's a love in the moment of their birth that is indescribable. Yeah. Right. And you only know it when you know it, like people can tell you all the time. And it's not that it makes you any better or less if you don't have that experience. But when you do have that experience, it is a special experience and not everyone's going to experience losing their child the way I did, but it, I did. And it was this extraordinary experience of being responsible for his body. And I didn't hold him because I was in shock. And so it was one right. of the things that really hurt me later on. And I kept crying about, and at one point I was sitting, um, I was sitting somewhere and I just, I felt like, what if, yeah, I didn't get a hold of my son, but what if Mary did because she knew I would want that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of our faith, the possibilities. And you can grieve and you can hope at the same time. You can grieve and mourn the loss. And you can also hope and know that something beyond your understanding is also possible. Mm-hmm. You know? Amen. That's... I'm going to end it there because I don't think we can top that point. We can grieve, but we also hope. And that's, that's the Christian mystery, right? Standing at that yeah, foot of the cross yes. and seeing Sunday, going from Nazareth to Bethlehem with no place to stay and no plans, but knowing the Savior is going to be born. And I said yes to this, and I trust the providence yeah. of, the of the Lord. So thank you so much for this awesome conversation. Um, and remember, folks, you've got this podcast episode, but Letitia has also written an article for Ave Explorers. And so you can go find that on all the download stuff on AveMariaPress.com. We can grieve, but we can also hope. And I, I think Mary is an example and model of that. Letitia expressed that so beautifully. We can learn a lot from people like Letitia, who have faced trauma, have faced suffering, have faced pain in profound ways, and yet still cling to their faith, not because it's merely a comfort or not because it's simply easy, but because it is what we're called to and, and God 
can bring sanctification in the midst of pain and trauma. As we've gone through all this Ave Explorers content, you know, sometimes I, I feel like I'm at a loss for words because there's just such great stuff that's been said and shared. And we've got so many more incredible things coming down the pipe, both with this podcast and with all of the Ave Maria Press content that is backlogged on AveMariaPress.com that is available to you through social media, through the website. But ultimately, again, to reiterate our goal with all of this, to help everyday faithful Catholics get to know Our Lady. I do want to tease out to you some of what's coming in the podcast episodes later on in the season. We have an interview with a woman that you perhaps know from Instagram. Um, her name is Kristen from One Hail Mary at a Time. Every morning she hosts a live rosary on Instagram Live with hundreds of people tuning in. We have an interview coming up with J.D. Flynn of Catholic News Agency talking about life with his children, with his wife, how they incorporate the rosary in their life as a family. And we have an incredible episode coming up with Father Mike Schmitz on spiritual fatherhood. So if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, I'd highly recommend you do so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. You can, of course, always go back and listen to the other episodes and you can get all of the Ave Maria Press content over at AveMariaPress.com.